0: Good morning. How's everybody today? Not, it's just, isn't it weird that we as people, like we have, we make people, we have offspring? It trips me out. <laughs> like these little humans that grow up to become big humans. It's crazy. I was worshiping today and I looked up and the kids were sitting, some of the kids in front of me, and I just saw this little hand in the air singing. And um, I was so blessed just to think that. I, in my life, I need God's help. I need his guidance. I need his grace, his forgiveness, his love. I need all the things that God wants to give me. I need them. And I look and I'm like, you know, there's these, these kiddos, they, they do too. And just to be sitting there just being like, Lord, help me. Uh, it's a pretty rad thing. Well, can I pray and um, we'll get ready to go into this next part of our, our morning. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for those Things that we get to sing to be uh, reminded of. It was fun to um, have a little bluegrass like get down this morning and to just think people have been singing that song forever and there is a sense that in this world there are things that we can't escape but one day you're going to make everything whole and right, and we'll see it, and we'll experience it, and walk in it, and there won't be any more brokenness, and there won't be any more sadness. Um, There will be unity, like real unity. Every tribe, tongue, and nation around this world that you created will stand in solidarity together and uh, in your love completely. But until that day, Lord, we look to you, and by faith we keep moving forward. And we thank you that I could just sing with my brothers and sisters that your goodness uh, never leaves you're not far away as a matter of fact you're running after us all the time we believe that Lord and what Melinda said that you we hear your voice we actually we do and you tell us that your sheep hear your voice and that we respond to our shepherd so Lord we're here we open up your word we believe that your words are life and light we need life. We need guidance. We ask that you would give that to us now, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So today we're going to continue what we're talking about, the rhythms of the early church, the first of us. Um, this is our fourth week in this series. We've got a couple weeks left. And today what we want to consider or look at is a rhythm of connection Our whole series has a launch pad of scripture. It's in Acts chapter 2. If you've been going to church a long time, these are going to be familiar passages, but we're looking at them with fresh eyes and an open heart to see what God might show us. As we're looking at, how do we want to do church? How do we want to be as people, as followers of Jesus? So we look at the very first people who were filled by the Holy Spirit to continue Jesus' work on the day of Pentecost 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead and that's where the book of Acts starts and you find yourself in chapter 2 at the end of this message that Peter gave filled with the spirit he spoke and then it shows us what the early church the first of us before they were even called Christians just their natural rhythms and so that's what we're doing we're considering those so if you have your Bible open you can turn to Acts chapter 2 we've read these verses every week we're going to read them again today look at them with fresh eyes and look at a new um, a new aspect of this so in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 says this they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer or maybe your translation says to the prayers Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe or fear at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, as a reminder, which we want to remind ourselves every time, this passage is, is what we would call, um, it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. The difference is, when you go to the doctor and you're sick, they give you a prescription, they say, take this, Take two and call me in the morning. So we read a verse like this and we think this is prescriptive. If we do these things, then we'll have fullness of the Spirit, what God wants to do. But I want to say that this is descriptive. It's saying because they were filled with the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit came upon this people and empowered them. We say stuff like God gave them his heart his eyes, and his love for themselves and the world around them. This describes what their world was like. There was a new rhythm, a new beat and rhythm that, that authored their lives because of the presence of God. This sort of what we were talking about in Ecclesiastes, which was the launch pad to this sermon series. Because in Ecclesiastes, we were talking about the radical middle. Remember? That contentment and happiness, even though we search for it in the extremes, when we get there, we find that it's not there. That was the stage. I promise. I promise. Somebody turn on the exhaust fan. What was I talking about? Okay, (laughs) contentment. And purpose are not found in the extremes, they're found in the radical middle. Sort of like, and they, they went to the temple and prayed and they were together and it says, and they ate their food with glad and simple or sincere hearts. They were pumped on life. Not because they had it all, but because they had God. And we live in a culture that is very hard because we're not happy unless we have more where it's ingrained into who we are and this is a radical departure from that this is why people can live in third world countries and villages and we say stuff like how can they really be happy they don't have anything but they actually show us what it is to be happy and content and fulfilled because they grasp some some things that tend to elude us in our rhythms of life but in the early church The first of us, contentment and purpose, they weren't found in extremes, but in the presence of God with and with others. Which is important for us to look at because have you ever heard someone say, I wish the church could just be like the early church? If you've been around for a few minutes, you hear that. I wish it could just be like it was then. Here's the thing it was real hard then. We read this and we're like, that was so awesome. They loved each other so much. But you know what? They, many of them would go off and face death for their faith. They would be scattered from their homes, rejected by communities. But they, what they did have was the fullness of God and the power of real community. We love that word community, but sometimes it lacks in in what it really is. That's what we're going to talk about today. The first of us experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. No doubt, Peter preached and 3,000 people gave their lives. I'm telling you, he felt good about his message at the end of the day. He got done and yes, glory to God, but you're like, wow, God, you're real. You're doing stuff. Look at what's happening. But they also spe- experienced the lowest of lows. Great blessing and great persecution. So before we get into the new bit that I want to look at today, By way of recap, let's hit where we've been so far. Week one, we talked about the first of us were full of the Holy Spirit. That's first and foremost. There was a new devotion, new direction, new author of what they were doing. Week two, we talked about they were devoted to doctrine, to being taught by God through the apostles. And we're still devoted to being taught by God through the apostles. We have it in front of us. Um, when we are taught, we remember the goal of every teaching is a reorientation. So, the goal this morning, as the same with every other Sunday morning, is to reorient you and me to God's kingdom. There's a kingdom that coexists with the kingdom of this world. We want to remember and be reoriented to this reality. And when we do that, we want to be reoriented to God's goodness. Not just that he's holy and big and awesome, he is, but that he's good. That it's a good thing to trust him, to follow, your, to open yourself up and to him and to trust him. And then a reorientation to God's instruction. If God is real and God is good and he wants to tell you some stuff, trusting him is the logical choice, like, yes, Lord, what would you have for me? Last week, or two weeks ago, Ted talked about fellowship. He used the, he equated it to family. He talked about, this is what I remember, redwoods, arches, and croquet. You guys remember? He loves the redwoods. The roots grow together. We are stronger together. Arches are stronger than columns. How many people didn't know that and they learned something new that day and they're like, that's cool. Yeah, arches are stronger than columns. Why? Because the arch leans into each other, makes it stronger. And then croquet, that was a great ender, he said. Where the missionary was, I can't remember where he was, but he taught these people the game of croquet. And he was like, the best part is, so when you get close, you put your foot on your ball and you just like send them into the bushes. And they were like, no, that's mean. When If they lose, I lose. When they win, I win. There was this sense of community. The whole deal was... The first of us were together like a family is supposed to be together. He said, in family we experience community, strength, ministry, guidance, along with difficulties. For the next two weeks, I want to get real practical, because that is true. All of that stuff is true. But I want to talk about how they became a family. We read this stuff on what community is supposed to look like, But here's the deal. I saw a quote from To Kill a Mockingbird this last week, and and it is where Atticus, does Atticus say it? He says it to Scout, and he says, yeah, Atticus Finch, if you learn a simple trick, Scout, you'll you'll get along a lot better with all kinds of folks. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view until you climb inside of his skin and walk around in it. That like puts some flesh on the old saying, if you want to get to know somebody, don't judge somebody until you walk a mile in their shoes. You ever heard that one? I think a lot of times the one we actually live by was said by someone else. His name was Jack Handy, and he was on Saturday Night Live, and he had deep thoughts with Jack Handy. You guys remember him? This is what he said. He said, before you criticize someone, walk a mile in their shoes. That way you'll be a mile away from them and have their shoes. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think those are words too that a lot of people live by. Mm -hmm. You see the division and the things in our world and it's sort of like, yeah, before you judge someone, just walk a mile in their shoes. That way you can be a mile farther away and have something of theirs. But how did they become this family? How was their community, strength, ministry, guidance, and difficulties? Not just difficulties. Well, we want to talk about how to draw closer to God and closer to each other. So today's message is called The Rhythm of Shared Spaces. The Rhythm of Shared Spaces. We're going to talk about it for the next two weeks. I wanted to do it all as one, but it's too much. So we'll break it up into two. So the first shared space we're going to look at is, did you catch it in the text? They broke bread together. It says, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And then it says to breaking of bread and to the prayers. Some theologians, commentators would say that this is four separate things. That it is teaching, fellowship, fellowship. Breaking bread and prayer, and then about an equal number of them say it's actually the second two describe the first two. So the apostles' teaching into, the, into fellowship, and then a description of the fellowship is breaking of bread and prayer. So you can say these are ways they became close, became family. When the Spirit filled their hearts, they became, it is clear, they became the opposite of selfish. What's the opposite of selfish? Selfless? I think about children. That's mine. But when the, they're the opposite of selfish, they say, Here, you can play with it. It's sharing. Selfishness is the biggest hurdle in the human heart, I think. And did you know that it's actually the biggest goal of the devil? The devil isn't for you to grow a tail. And like have like real scary Halloween costumes. His goal is for you to be selfish. If he can get you selfish, work is accomplished. If, it, if your life just becomes about you only, then his work is complete. Because you don't have to consider how anybody else feels or what they think or sharing spaces. Because you own the space every time you step into it. Because your world revolves around you. He's much more... Sly and crafty. I think we give them credit for. Selfishness is the root cause of all sin. All sin. I want to talk about this because I, you guys know me. I love the church. When people bash the church all the time, I don't like that. Because you know why? Jesus loves the church. Even with all the messed up people that belong to the church. You know why? Because I'm one of them and Jesus loves me. So I'm not one to bash the church. But I will say, I think we've lost our way a little bit with together. How do we do together? I don't think, I think some of us have forgotten how to do together. We forgot what it is to be together with people and what it is to be together with God. Because the truth is, when God gets a hold of your heart, there's something that starts to unfold. It's called the great commandment. You ever notice this in yourself or in someone else? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus replied. Someone says, what's the greatest commandment? Like, what's the most important thing to do? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart heart your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first and greatest commandment, he says. And on this commandment hangs all of the law and prophets. Basically, he's saying, if you do this, all of these things are accomplished. They fall into place in the right time. This is what he's saying. Connect with God and connect with people. So how did the first of us connect together that brought such togetherness like it's a real togetherness when you see a need in someone else and you go and sell something you have and you give it to them to see them because you believe their success is your success that's next level togetherness it's not force it's not a government system so it's not like the early church were socialists the early church loved each other They were down for one another. So the first of us were devoted to breaking bread. Let's look at this rhythm of connection that they were devoted to. So, verse 44 all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their properties and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Breaking bread is the rat expression. We don't use it too much, although it is in the Urban Dictionary. Because I was like, what is the, what is the definition? Of, is there like an actual definition? Because we know of breaking bread. It's like, let's break bread together, brother. After church. It's like if you break bread, all of a sudden, God will bless that meal. If you, as long as you say we're breaking bread. You can't say we're going to lunch. But if you say we're breaking bread, immediate blessing. No, but it means to engage in a shared experience with other people. So it's an expression of two things in this text. Sharing a meal with someone. The idea is that there is an intentional yet casual connection with other people intentional yet casual connection with other people the other meaning is the lord's supper the lord's supper we would call this taking communion or sharing communion with other people the idea here is that we would remember who's at the head of the table the principle is here is there is space for other people in our lives because God found space for me in his. That's communion. I I naturally have the rhythm of making space because when I partake in the Lord's Supper, I remember the cost Jesus went through to make space for me. Here's the thing. They are not mutually exclusive. We live in... um, they don't exist apart from each other. They're meant to exist together. You, your heart naturally goes out to someone when you realize how much God's heart naturally goes out to you. So much of the division in our world would be much less if we realize that I don't either have to be for them completely or against them completely. There's a third option. I'm for people because God is for people. You can, you can be down with people who don't look like you, who don't vote like you, who weren't raised like you, who sins look different than yours, but you can love them and, and lavish humanity on them and call them your brother and your sister and be there for them and actually care and give them your heart because that's how you know Jesus feels about you. That's what was happening here. So I just think, let's look at it. Let's just, let's just zoom this in. Because I really want to talk to, you know what, I want to talk to dads in the room for a minute. I want to talk to parents that are in there. Now, this is not all of our story, but let, I just let me for a minute. Is this what our dinner tables look like? Because if we want the world to change, this is how I think about it. you got to start at your own table first. Amen. We think about all the tables we're not sitting at, the ones that... We weren't invited to, or the dinner's happening over there, or the party's over here, and we're like, man, I should be there. It should look like this. And I believe the Lord would say, what does your table look like? You know, we cast a lot of, there, there can be rhythms of casting judgment and talking all the stuff that how we think people should be and should live. But I just want to be like, what does your dining room table look like, Dad's? Is it a place where everybody at the table has given a place of honor? Is it a place of shared experience? You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of books, and I know a common experience for a lot of people, a lot of church hurt has come from places of like, maybe it just speaks to me because I'm a dad, but it's like dad's, like your whole household revolves around how you're doing that day. So everyone tippy-toes, is dad happy, is dad sad, is dad in a good mood, is dad, that's how our dinner's going to go, but together, as a father, we set the tone for, it's a safe space for our kids to be like, I had a rough day, unless you're a teenager, then they just go, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that could mean all sorts of stuff, that could mean like, it's the best day ever, or the worst day ever, you have to have the gift of interpretation in there, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> But is it, what's the tone at the table? Is there a tone of togetherness? Because it's supposed to be the sharing a meal together is a common place of belonging. It's a place where people feel wanted. You're invited to this table. A place where experiences are shared. How awesome was it last week when you that were here got to listen and share the life experience of those four that got baptized. Yeah. Was you, were you made a better version of you from listening to their story and relate? You're like, I, that's me. Yes. I relate to that part of your story. I relate to that part of your story. Mine's a little different, but what you're saying, yes. I had someone talk to me today already. It's like, when's the next baptism? Yeah. Amen. It's so sick because they're listening and they're like, yeah, totally. I can relate to that. That's because this is a shared space. Do you guys see where I'm going with this whole message? It's what the church is supposed to be. It's because people know not, number one, not just that I guess I should go to church or I could go to church. But I'm wanted at church. That's where I'm supposed to be. It's a place where needs are met. You know, it wasn't like people just sold. Barnabas will do it. He sold a property because he had great faith. And he, God put it on his heart like the church needs your help. So he went, he sold some. He brought it to the apostles. So to like the leaders. And he said, here, here's X amount of dollars. Whatever, I just I just feel like I'm supposed to give to this. And so they gave where it was needed. But it says with these other ones, that they heard about needs around because they were breaking bread together it wasn't like people were just giving lump sums it was like they were together and they that's where needs came up kind of like at a dinner table how are you doing oh i need i'm need to finish my homework i work is hard this week needs come up and that's where prayer and things came in see the rhythm is not the eating the rhythm is the sharing the early church, the first of us, they shared what they had with God by sharing their lives with others. We had a men's breakfast yesterday, and the topic comes up like, how do we do this Christian thing in the world? And one of the brothers yesterday said, you sort of do it by default when you do it when you just be who you are for God. That's, it's so freeing because... We're not living on this, am I succeeding or failing for God? We get to just be who we are and know that as we are looking to break bread and be with people and find connection points, it's like we're doing it unto the Lord. Does that make sense? Jesus says, as you, he told people one time, "Um, I was homeless, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was hungry you gave me food I was thirsty you gave me water people were like um I don't remember that Jesus when did we see you in those conditions and he says I tell you the truth as much as you did this to the least of my brethren you've done it unto me but the metaphor of breaking bread works all over the place look at a church gathering look at your hobbies It's creating shared spaces in our everyday lives to connect with people around us. The important thing is we just start at our own table and work outward. But why is this so hard? Why do we see that that was like their experience in the early church? And we look around and I see... Now I want to take us out of the generalization because I see God doing radical things in our midst. I see people connecting and and making relationships and finding a place of belonging. We want to see it more. We just want to talk about that it's not always what's happening everywhere. Some of my experiences, I've seen people go to church for 15 years together and they actually don't even know each other. Do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah. But we, there's no crossover. There's no shared experience. Why is it so hard? Well, we're all in different places. Let me just highlight a couple of things. Some of us have become really hardened towards church. I praise God because some of our story here at the bridge is that if people are... are there was something that God did in their life that they maybe tried to walk away from, But time is gone, and they're they're thinking about giving it another go. One of our biggest prayers here in heart is that God would show us the honor and give us the privilege of being a place that if someone was thinking about things of God and they want to kind of take a step toward in their own speed, that maybe this would be a place they would choose. It's a real hard thing because some of us have been really hurt and our hearts have become hard towards especially the church people will say it's towards God but typically it's because of people in their lives they feel like the church is a place of hurt not a place of help some people look at the church and they feel they just like it's filled with judgmental people who don't even believe in science or like other people there's just these broad strokes but it comes from a place of Hurt, and their heart is hard towards the things. And then some of us, careful, this might hit home, and I don't mean for it to, but some of us have been kept safe from the world so long in our, in our we would call them communities, but sometimes it's an isolation from what we were meant to be. And we're so scared of the world that we just keep ourselves safe. So much so that we don't even know how to talk to people who are different than us anymore. And the byproduct of that is you become to think of those people as less somehow. That's not together. That's not praising God and having favor with all people. So we build boundaries around ourselves and we build boundaries around others and we draw lines between ourselves and them. But it comes from a place of insecurity and fear because what if those people knew I actually struggle with the sin I'm condoning in them? Struggling with the sin I don't condone in them. You know what I'm saying? So we can train ourselves and our children to live outside of other people's lives because in our hearts, we actually don't want, we want them to live outside of ours. So we never have shared spaces. There's never big crossover. We just sort of high five along the way. But the first of us, that wasn't their story. They were together, it was, it was deeper. They found belonging by including others. They didn't find belonging by being included in someone else. When God moved in their heart, they said, we belong, let's include others. They started a new thing. And when the spirit of God moves, new things happen. And I want to be part of that. Why is this often missing in our churches and our culture? I think it's because we misunderstand the second part of what breaking bread is. It was common at the end of every meal, for the first of us, for the first-century Christians, they would hang out, spend time together. You know, they weren't so much hobbies back then. It was sort of like survival. Can you just imagine living when you had no such thing as like a refrigerator. Just put it in the fridge, it'll be good later. Let's go ride our bikes. There was no refrigerator, refrigerator. you had to like figure out how to... You were just always busy with survival, keeping alive. But at the end of a meal, they would take the Lord's Supper. So they would eat, and at the end of that, there would be this shared experience where they would take a moment and they would remember Jesus. The Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus himself To remember his death, to symbolize a new relationship, a new standing, a new way that we live and communicate. The churchy word is there's a new covenant. There's a new way in which we engage with God based on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, not based on our performance or who we are or what we have. So it was to remember his death, symbolize a new relationship, Point to the fellowship of people gathered around this table. Remember, Jesus took the bread and he passed it out. And he's like, you take it, you take it, you take it. And to anticipate what is to come, like we sang about this morning. Because Jesus said when he gave out communion, I tell you the truth, I won't do this again until we do it new in my Father's kingdom. That there's going to be a place where We're going to take communion with Jesus one day, and we're going to be in communion with him physically every day. This shared space is a rhythm of connection with God. Next week, we'll talk about prayer, breaking and bread and prayer. I wanted to do them both, but you just can't because you want to see how this church is guided the direction we're going. Come to a prayer meeting. You'll see the Holy Spirit leading us as we pray in the direction we go. You want to? Next week. All right. So, this is the Lord's Supper. And then, we're going to take it together today. So, we're having a shared space together. And then, we're going to take communion together and share with the Lord. But here's what we need when we take, with the first of us, when they took communion, the Lord's Supper, this is what we need. We need to remember the cross. We need to, before we can have shared space with others, if you find yourself with a spirit of judgment, we've all been there. You don't even have to raise your hand. If you're a human being, I know you have judged someone else. If you look at someone else as a less than, when you come to the Lord's table and you take communion with him, I don't want to sound like a downer, but you realize that you're less than. But not to the Lord. You were invited to sit at the table with him. I'm reading personally in the Bible, just in my personal reading, and I'm I'm in Samuel, and I just reread the story of, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, so King David, David and Goliath, you guys know him, Um, he was a king, second king of Israel, God saw a king in him when all all the world saw was a dirty little shepherd boy, but David became king one day. And when he became king and all his enemies were conquered, he thought about: Is there anyone in Saul, the previous king, who was a jerk, by the way? He said, "Is there any who wanted to show honor to him? Is there anyone in in Saul's household that is like still around that I could, you know, show honor to?" And they're like, "Well, he has one son, Mephibosheth, who was uh, lost the use of his legs when trying to run for his life." Uh, in a battle earlier on so he was in a wheelchair and David said bring him to me now this was not common to show any sign of physical uh, inability to stand before the king you weren't even allowed supposed to be sad in the king's presence but David brought Mephibosheth in Mephibosheth thought he was actually going to be killed because he was like my dad was so mean to david and now david's king and that's what you would do you would take out the whole old king's family so they could never rise up again and you would end their name from the earth so he comes in and he's scared he's like i'm gonna die and david invited him to the table he said sit here and he was like hey did you have land like stuff that that belonged to you before i took over and he's like well yeah but it's it was taken away and that's okay king you're and David re-gave him everything that was due to, not just him, his whole family. And it said, Mephibosheth, from this day forward, there's an invitation for you to eat with me at my table, like friends. You don't have to bow down when you come in. You come in and you sit at the table. This is the king's table, but this is your table now. And it says, from that day forward, Mephibosheth every day went and ate with the king. That's a picture of communion. We recognize that we have brokenness in our lives. We have sin in our lives. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You come. And we come in and we're like, Lord, uh, are you mean? Are you going to be mean? How are you going to treat me? And he says, I want to, I don't want to take from you. I want to give to you. And that's what communion is. It's sitting at the king's table. You're here because Jesus invited you and you responded not because you earned a place. We need a reorientation again towards God's love for us. For us, I said we operate on the fringes of other people's lives and we kind of want God to do that with us because we train ourselves in it. But you have to remember, the Holy Spirit doesn't operate on the, the edges of your life. It says he makes his home in your heart. He goes to the depths of who you are. God isn't about curbing behavior and then making you feel guilty when you don't do it. He comes in and he does a slow process of transforming you from the inside out. That's a, that can take time. That's what he does. Communion reminds us that Jesus is for you. He is with you. He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. And then the third thing about the Lord's Supper, and I think this is where it brings it full circle and we're able to engage others again, is when we have the communion with the Lord, it re-engages us to the people around us. Because when God reorients your hearts to, the, to when he reorients our hearts, we become less about ourselves, and become more about him and others we're reminded that we're not supposed to do this life thing alone. We're supposed to do it together. So I want to invite the worship team to come up, and as they're singing the song, people are going to pass out the bread and the wa- and the grape juice. Yes. It's wine. Pretend it's wine. Um, or grape juice if you don't like wine. It can be whatever you want. It symbolizes the, blo- the body and the blood of Jesus. Would you hold these two things together and then... Uh, at the end of the song, when it's passed out, I'm going to come up, I'm going to pray for them, and we're going to take them together, and we're going to do what we're reading about here, okay?